You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. This episode of our podcast today is sponsored by Hoof Care Essentials Foundation partner, Life Data Labs. I'm with Mark Christensen in Odense, Denmark. Uh, we've just finished a clinic, uh, a two-day clinic with the farriers here, and that's been in Huygar, if I've said that correctly. Huygar. And I'm talking to Mark because he's here and interesting and in in Denmark, uh, but also mainly because he is a full-time remedial farrier. He's attached to the hospital where we had the clinic, and that gives him a different view to most of us on the shoeing of horses. So, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. So the first question is the obvious one. How long have you been shoeing for? I was starting as an apprentice in '95. So that's 25 years ago. Yeah. And I'm still an apprentice. I'm trying to learn something every day. Well, that's a, that's a good attitude. So, um, so how did you get into it? Were you from a horse family? No, actually, my mother was having a horse, and I was having a shoe jumper, a pony. And it was throwing me all the way to the bottom of the ground every day. But I loved it. And we were having a farrier who was coming at our place, of course, to trim, trim the horses and shoeing them. And I just think, oh, that is, that's an easy job. I, I want to try it. So when I become a get bit older, I was uh, asking her, could I drive with you for a day, like an internship in the school for a week? And I was uh, beginning to do that. And I think, oh, I actually like this job. At that moment, I didn't have the pain in the back and the knees and the elbows and whatever other farriers also have, have get, problems. Yeah. So... I was beginning to be with him and I was getting a job there as a young man who was helping him in his forge and going out with him on Fridays and Saturdays to shoe horses. And that was actually the way I was coming into it. And that was here in Odense, wasn't it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so very local. And you've lived in this part of Denmark all your life anyway, yeah. haven't yeah. you? So when, when I was being 15 and I was going to get an apprenticeship, I was actually trying to get at work at this place, but he wasn't allowed to take farrier students. And he was recommending me to my master. I was being trained at Pierre Christofferson, and I have been glad for that ever since. So that's the way I was coming into it. Okay. And then, of course, you've moved on in your career and, and you've reached a point now uh, where you're attached to the hospital. And how did you get into that? It, it was... I don't know if you can say a natural way of, of moving into to it as my career because I have Pierre, my old master, was the one who was doing it before and when he was ill or on holiday, vacations, whatever, I was helping him. So then they were calling me and when he was being told he was not able to shoe horses anymore, he was asking me if I would like to take over his place. And of course I said, yeah, some, some years before I have been dreaming of and we were talking to the vets could we get this to work could they trust me could i trust them and all the more practical stuff we were trying to get in the function and we were agreeing on we could do this in a period in time and see how is how how will it work and that's five years ago now 
So I think my testing time is over. Yeah, you're still there. And, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I had a look at your workshop. It's uh, beautifully set up and uh, it's, a, it's a great hospital. Yeah. I mean, it has, I think it's the biggest equine hospital here in Denmark. Yeah, it? it is the biggest in Denmark. Yeah, and it has lots of good facilities. Yeah. MRI, CAT scan very soon. Yeah, it's on its way. <laughs> it's in the box, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So we had a look at that and of course, you know, operating theatre and yeah, it's a totally set up equine yeah. hospital and it's a great place to be attached to. I'm sure uh, you get lots of interesting cases. Um, so I wonder, what is a typical case that you get at the hospital? A typical case at the hospital could be ligament damage, tender damage, cracks. I do a lot of cracks, um, keratoma. Uh, well, you, if you see keratomas, uh, then, then obviously there are a lot of barriers that would only see one in their life. But when you're attached to a hospital, then there is a, a little bit of a regular throughput. I think the highest number of keratoma I've done in a year was last year we did six keratomas. Yeah. But so that's still, as I say, many farriers wouldn't see six yeah, in their um, life. Are you involved with them by putting on a hospital plate shoe or repairing the hoof afterwards? What's your involvement? The, 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 way, we're doing your it, the way we're doing it is that if we're having a keratoma, uh, of course the vet is, is setting the dinos and I am trimming the hoof off before we are removing the keratoma, making the shoe, the plates, um, preparing everything before we are either is doing it standing on a horse or putting him all the way down to sleep in the surgery room. Yeah. Uh, depending on how big it is, the keratoma, which, which way we are, we are choosing or which type of horse is, is a big horse, is it a small horse or what, what that, that's also depending on the client, what they would prefer. And then I'm actually, it, most of the time, I'm removing the keratoma with the vet at my side. And they are scraping the last one off because then we will be at the P3. Yeah. And in Denmark, we actually have a law that the ferry is not allowed to work in the tough tissue. No, we, we have the same law. Okay. Um, you know, that's part of the Veterinary Surgeons Act. Yeah. Um, our, our veterinary bosses have that law protecting themselves. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so we're not allowed to do invasive surgery, but I'm sure in the, you know, what you do is perfectly within the law and it would be madness if it was otherwise, yeah. wouldn't it? But, but all the farriers have been removing keratoma nose. We always hoped that we could clean up the hoof and just sip it out. Yeah. But sometimes that won't work and we have to dig it all out. And that's where the vet is coming, but normally they're coming with their little spoons or their hoof knives who can't cut anything at all. So normally <laughs> normally it will be, be me who is actually doing it until I said to the to the vet, it's your turn now. Yeah, well that's, uh, that's a great example really of collaboration of, yeah. of the farrier and, and the vet. So carrying on with, with your experience as a remedial farrier, you know, I, my main line was always the racehorse, um, but I have done enough sports horses and I used to be at a, a hospital. And of course, over the last 10 or 20 years, it, it seems that we see more and more suspensory ligament desmitis in sports horses. Do you have any ideas why we're seeing more and more of that? Oh, it's dangerous to, to talk about because I actually think it has something to do with our breeding. Yeah. I think it's a big, big question we have to look at as, as a breeder is how, how, how well are the horses able to hold to the pressure we are putting on the horses. And also I think a 
big influence is the writing areas and the arenas. What type of bottom are they writing in? So do you think it's firmer arenas or softer arenas that are causing it? I actually think it's because the horses isn't being allowed to go in different type of surface. Yeah. So my, my personal opinion, I have no, no knowledge, I have any studies of it, but my personal opinion is that the strongest horse is the one who is going on hard service, soft service, medial service, uh, rocky service, and you know, so it will always get out in the outer positions of yeah. their legs. I think that that is the strongest horse. Yeah. But today, particularly in Denmark, the horses are becoming so expensive, so people would really try, try to take care of them and do the best for the horse. Yeah. And I sometimes think that the best they're doing is actually hurting them. And then of course, the performance of these horses is increased all the time, mm. but the, the body only has a certain amount of strength, and if you increase performance, you increase stresses and strains on the body. Yeah. And yeah. So, so that might be as well that there's a greater expectation of performance in, in these horses. Yeah. Um, and it is possible as well they're starting younger with them, aren't they? Yeah, they're starting up at two and a half year olds often yeah. to get them ready for the riders. Then they have a break and then they're starting up and we have, I don't know how it is in England, but in Denmark we have, uh, what's it called? When you're putting them to a show to get them judge on how good a horse it is uh, at three year olds. Then we have a four year old, a five, six and a seven year old championship. So of course everyone wants to be in the high level of that. And that's a hard pressure for a horse. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, as I say, I know it's something that uh, is being questioned all over the world. And um, we could do with some answers, couldn't we? Because there's yeah. too many horses lost yeah. because of suspensory ligament desmitis. One of the things I noticed uh, here, and I think probably in other Scandinavian countries, is that you have quite a high level of cold shoeing to hot shoeing, maybe 50-50%. Yeah, I actually think it's higher. I think more about 60-40. Okay. That 60% is doing it cold and 40 is doing it hot. Okay. Perhaps it's, it, it could be 50-50 as you're saying. I, I won't disagree on that. And why do you think that is? Because that's not the same in most of the rest of the Western world. No. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because I think it's because that the farriery industry in Denmark have been going that way. But I see more and more farriers doing it hot. Okay, so there there is a movement towards yeah, hot yeah. shoeing. Yeah, yeah. I prefer hot shoeing. I well, think. I saw you forge your setup for yeah. hot shoeing, aren't you? I, I, I will. I, for myself, I I feel like I can do a better job if I'm fitting the shoe hot. Well, I you know came from a racehorse plating background, and I'd have to say the first ten years of my career mm. uh, shoeing everything cold, and when I learnt to hot shoe, it it is a totally new. It's not a, a different craft, you still have to trim the foot correctly yeah, yeah. and you have to understand fit. But you have to relearn a whole new load of, yeah. of skills, really, to, to become a good hot shoe. And I think that took me a, a, at least a couple more years yeah. to acquire those skills. Yeah. But I actually think the best barriers are the ones that can cold fit when they need to cold fit and yeah. hot fit when they need to hot fit. I cold fit. fit too. I have some stables where they would not like me to shoe hot. Yeah. Because of the smell, the burning, they have very, very expensive horses, so they haven't got incredible, as it seems, they don't have the facilities to, ha I'm having my forge there and doing it hot. So I'm shoeing cold too. And of course, um, you use quite a few aluminium shoes, which um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not heating the aluminium up except it's really necessary because it's it's always burn off or it's too soft when we're done. Yeah, it destroys the quality yeah, of, yeah. The, of the of course. Aluminium. Alu aluminium I'm doing cold as it is possible. Yeah. Well we went out um well I went out with you just to shoot one horse um before the, the, the clinic um started. And it was the most fantastic place I think I've ever seen. Yeah. There's uh, show jumping. I, I can't remember whether there was two indoor arenas or three. There was a outdoor arena which looked up to or above the standard of most international arenas. Yeah, it yeah. was just, and I thought the investment there for show jumpers, and obviously we're not going to name the client. No, but, no, no. But um, uh, how many sports horses were there? Are there based there? I think in the one stable you where we were shooting the horse, yeah. uh, there is about forty horses. Yeah. And then they have a breeding area where they have about sixty. Yeah. And it was everything was perfection. Wasn't yeah. It? And it's a it's a lovely client to to attend the horses for because as a farrier you is it was a big part of the day down there. I'm down there every week to attend to the foals and the mares and the youngsters and the two year olds and the three year olds. Yeah. And if I see a horse walk by me and say, Oh, stop we have to take a look at that. And I suggest a shoe, yeah, good shoes. If you suggested something, you are always allowed to do what you want to do so long as they have the high quality. Yeah. They expect, expect high quality. And it's a client I use many hours on. I think I have about 10 or 15 stallions and I'm shooting. Yeah, you walked me the, through the, yeah, the, the eight stallion of, the eight, eight or 10 of them Yeah. Um, I'm taking care of. Yeah, no, big operation, and, and as yeah. I say, it was a beautiful place and, yeah. and, and so well set up. Now, just to get away from horses for a while, uh, you share a hobby with me, and probably with many, many other farriers. It isn't just that you have a rifle, because I don't have a rifle, I don't rifle shoot, but you go game shooting uh, with a shotgun, don't you? Yeah. And yeah. you have a wonderful Labrador, because yeah. I met him, <laughs> very obedient, well-trained. So, just tell us something about the shooting here in Denmark. Uh, it's actually a big industry in Denmark. Yeah. Uh, we have been seeing an increasing amount of, of, I have to remember to call the shooters, I call the hunters, <laughs> but, but shooters in, in Denmark. And it's a pretty big industry. And I'm so lucky that I'm living just in the background of big forest and I have a great neighbor who is having a lot of land where I have been able to rent a lot of shooting areas so on. For me, it's it's a completely stressful relief to go on a trip with my dog and my sh and my shooting, or my my shotgun, and see if I can find a pheasant or any one of the birds we allowed to shoot. Yeah, and I'm not one of those uh, shooters who have to shoot anything. If my dog is working, he's finding the birds, then okay, I didn't get one, but um, it's a completely re relaxing area for me. And we were trying to figure out some of the common birds, weren't we, last yeah, night? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I remember because we, on, on my shoot, we occasionally see snipe, but they're quite common here. And what is the name in Danish? Snipper. Yeah, I knew it was very Snipper. similar. So, it's, so, like, it's, it's much similar. Yeah, so undoubtedly it shares the same, so you know, it's, so the it's same root. The hunting for me is like, uh, it's relaxing. You don't have your phone with you and, yeah, you're, there's room to clear your minds. Yeah, and I agree entirely. Yeah. I, th I think every farrier should have a Labrador and go shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, 
Now, getting back to, to your position as a, as a remedial farrier at the Equine Hospital, uh, of course you get referrals, um, maybe referrals from other vets mm. to come in, and referrals from your own vets there, yeah. but undoubtedly these would usually have their own farrier. Yeah. Uh, and that in itself can cause problems. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with that? I'm really thinking a lot about not to criticize the job I'm seeing because the farrier who have been doing the horse before me, I always say they have a plan of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really, really, really trying over for the client to say that is not, this is not criticism of your job the farrier have done. I have just been giving some other opportunities through scanning, x-ray, MRI, CT, vet, block, nerve blocks and, and so on so we could figure out where is the problem and so we can intensify the shoeing directly to the problem the horse is having. So I'm really trying not to to be a farrier saying it's only what I'm doing is right because there are so many ways to roam. Yeah. And I always, when I'm doing a horse, uh, some of the clients I never see. I'm just doing it uh, if the wet want to get some sort of shoes on or just get it trimmed normally. I don't see the clients, but I, if I see the clients, I always saying, I would like if if it had a problem, for example, with a crack, uh, ligament, tissue problem, yeah, every every sort of problems. Um, I always saying to the client, perhaps I would like to see it again in five to six weeks, and oftenly I'm doing it. But my plan with with the horse is that when I feel that the problem is solved, I would like to give it back to the farrier. Yeah. So do you ever have farriers come in when yeah. you work? Yeah. Well, that's good because that's always a good sign, and usually you build up a better relationship with them, mm. don't you? And they they sort of realise then that you're not trying to steal their work; you're just yeah. trying to temporarily work F on fix the horse. The problems. Yeah. So that that used to be the way I used to look at it. I I would have to say, in all honesty, I was always disappointed how few farriers took the opportunity to go in to the equine hospital. Yeah. Those that did always got a lot out of it, and. Um, and actually, they often used to end up referring them, the horses in themselves. Mm. I have a lot of, actually, I think I have about eight or ten farriers in Denmark that, for example, I have two, I know, when they have horses with cracks, they always say, go to me. And we are fixing them and I'm sending them back home to them. Yeah. And we're talking about it over the phone or a mail, what I think they should keep on doing. But it's also important as a farrier to tell your client that what I have been doing now isn't necessary what you have to do in a year yeah. because the hoofs or the horse and the environment changes all the time. So just because I have done one thing, we don't, it's able to say, just keep it there and we'll never get a problem. And I, I think the, the sort of event that uh, you organised and I was the clinician at this weekend is a way to sort of bring farriers in, isn't it? To mm. get them to see the hospital, see yeah. how it works. And meet you. Yeah, talk to me. They yeah. know they perhaps they know me for off name, but they we have never spoken to you. Yeah. Though, so so I I would imagine that the vets at the clinic seem very happy with the workshop, and and they they will view that as a way of improving uh, relationships with with local farriers and and hopefully educating you know increasing the education, uh, and of course that's um should we say postgraduate education or qualified farriers? What I was doing was advanced stuff. But you, you do have an apprenticeship system here yeah. in Denmark. Yeah. And, and just in, in sort of 
general terms, if you can tell us about it. Yeah, you're starting on a technical school. I don't know the English term for it, but a school for for a craftsman. You're starting there, learning how to weld with the traditional welding machines, and then you could find somewhere you, where you can become an apprentice. And then you will go on, you will be there as an apprentice for, I think the first step is a year, then you will go to a school we have in Colling over at Hansenberg, where will you be, I think it's four, four times of three weeks at the time, okay. where they will, the forging, the anatomic, uh, they will dissect legs, they will be uh, teached by a vet in the anatomy, and, and then you will go up to a practical test. With, I think a practical test to finish is a week where they are going to do, oh, I think, I think, I think it's 10 or 15 shoes. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure about yeah. it, the test. And they will <coughs> shoe a horse on all four, four legs. And they will, um, I think also they should shoe a cadaver leg with uh, some sort of, um, a bar shoe. Or yeah, something. bar shoe, ik bar, um, yeah. hard bar. So that, it, there's quite a lot of expected of them at the end, yeah, but yeah. Um, but they have got, from the point of view of, of the rest of the world, quite a long apprenticeship, haven't they? They've got it the same as in the UK, a four yeah, year. Four year old. Yeah, and for me, it isn't, it isn't very long. <laughs> no, it all it for young people starting out. It sounds like it's an awful long time. Yeah. You, you talk to them when they're in their last year and they can't believe how quickly the time has yeah, gone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, four years is nothing if you're going to spend the rest of your life doing this job. Mm. And, it, and it requires that time to get those skills. All right, um, Mark, now we usually have just a little bit of fun when I'm uh, speaking to somebody yeah. where English is not their first language. And I'm told that in this particular part of, of, of Denmark you do have a different accent. Where, where we, seem to, <laughs> we seem to ignore D's. But what I'm going to ask you to do, I, I would like you to, to say to me, Sir, please hold your horse still so that I can shoe it. Herr, vær venlig at holde deres hest stille, så jeg kan sko den. I certainly will, because I, <laughs> I don't want to lose you as a farrier. Um, now, the other thing, Mark, that I always enjoy doing is what I call the deep philosophical question, which is, is not that deep, but, that deep but I, I, I would like you to tell me what's the most important thing you've learnt in your life. Oh, that's a big philosophical question, actually. Um, it, it's a two-point answer from my okay. point of view. It's it, believe in yourself, believe what you wanted to do and work for, for yeah. it, and also believe in, in the people who are willing to help you. And, and as a farrier, when you're doing a professional business, no matter if you're doing it like me or you're going out to clients, have a base at home, have a good family, take care of your family, because otherwise you can't do what you're doing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very true, and all of us need that home to go to, that happy yeah. home to go to. And, um, and I was lucky enough to visit uh, at your home with your wife and your lovely little yeah. seven-year-old <laughs> yeah. mini Mark. Yeah. I think that'll, <laughs> Actually, everyone calls him that. <laughs> so they, yeah, well, he, I can see that. Anyway, Mark, we've come to the end of this conversation. I would like to thank you for really looking after me well this weekend, giving me the opportunity to come here uh, to Odense uh, in, in Denmark, and thank you for giving a, a, a lovely podcast. Thank yeah, and you. I would like to thank you for have been here.
My fun. pleasure. Very big pleasure. My pleasure. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.